the number 40 is mentioned in the Bible 136 times. I was looking up some of the different times and some of them actually surprised me. I didn't, I didn't know this, but Saul, David, and Solomon, they were kings in, in succession. They successively ruled Israel for 40 years each. It's kind of a, kind of a really not a great um, way that God laid that out. Moses lived 40 years in Egypt before striking the Egyptian and then fleeing into the desert. And when he was in Midian, he spent 40 years there in the desert before coming back. And then when he took the Israelites out of Egypt, he spent 40 more years in the desert. Jonah preached to the Ninevites for 40 days. Ezekiel, when he was preaching, he also um, did what's called a prophetic action. And he laid on his side for 40 days as he preached and tried to call attention to Judah's sin. As we see in our readings today, or what we remember from Noah and the ark, they survived for 40 days and 40 nights on the water. And Jesus himself, it says, fasted and prayed for 40 days before his public ministry. So what does 40 mean then? Why did God deem it important to place all these 40s throughout salvation history, all these 40s in Scripture? 40 stands for, whenever you see 40 in Scripture, it stands for penance, it stands for trial, and it stands for preparation. But a preparation for what? A preparation for battle. The Israelites were in the desert preparing for battle with the people of Canaan. Moses was in Midian preparing for the battle with Pharaoh to get his people out of Egypt. The Israelites set free. Noah and the ark were in the water preparing to take on the new world. What would be before them? And Jesus was in the desert and he was doing battle with Satan. As as Mark recounts in the wild beasts. Lent, then, is not a passive surrender or a retreat from the world. Lent is a preparation for war. An example came to mind. Our Navy SEALs in our country, they go through something called Hell Week as part of BUDS, Basic Underwater Diving School. I have a friend who went through it and I've heard stories. And it is one of the most grueling human experience anyone can have. It's done in order to prepare them for war. It's done to detach the sailor from comfort and to expand his understanding of his capability. It's done to break the sailor down to his most fundamental self and to build him back up into a warrior. It's done to bind him to his brothers. When we suffer together, we grow together. So that suffering is a preparation, but it's a preparation for battle. You know, with the flood, the idea of the preparation makes sense of God's decisions. Sometimes we can get scandalized and people can get scandalized. God destroyed all of the earth. Was he just trying to inflict pain or just inflict suffering? No, the suffering had a purpose, just like Bud's has a purpose, just like Hell Week in basic underwater diving school has a purpose. Purification for the preparation for battle. A doctor sometimes has to break a bone to reset it. 
Any gardener who knows what they're doing knows they have to cut back plants. They have to prune plants. Why? Not to make the plant suffer, but to help it grow and to grow stronger. Now, Lent is far, and the way we do it, Lent is far from buds. But it is a preparation for war. This is the colic from Ash Wednesday. I'm about to read. The colic is the opening prayer at the beginning of Mass. I myself can sometimes let it blow past me, right? Because I say Mass all the time. And, and you're probably like, when do we get to sit down? You know, so like you, maybe, maybe it blows past you too and you don't think about it as often. But this is what the church gave us to pray as we began Lent, Ash Wednesday said, grant, O Lord, that we may begin with holy fasting this campaign of Christian service so that as we take up battle against spiritual evils, we may be armed with weapons of self-restraint through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Right. So it's the imagery the church gives us as we enter Lent is one of a battle because being a Christian means you're picking a fight, not necessarily with other people, but you're picking a fight with your own passions. You're picking a fight with not with people in the world, but with the spirit of the world. And sometimes you will not be popular. And you're picking a fight with demonic spirits. As Jesus did in the desert, some modern people, even modern Christians, want to believe that Satan is not real, that there are no demons, that the devil is an allegory for sin or immorality. But as Catholics, we must profess and understand that we are, there are spiritual beings, fallen angels with wills and intellects, and we are in warfare with them, even if we can't see them. Jesus himself was tempted not by evil passions or the feeling of sadness. Jesus was tempted by a person, Satan. That person hates you too because you are a Christian, a little Christ. But we do not have to be afraid, especially if we're in the state of grace and are living uh, in the true power of our baptism. Satan has no power over us. Evil has no power over us unless we allow it. So we need to, taking the military analogy, fortify the perimeters. The best way to make sure we're not placing ourselves under the influence of the demonic is to place ourselves under the influence of the divine. And that's through sacraments and prayer. But we can also avoid opening ourselves up and our families up and our households up by staying away from things of the occult. You might be like, well, why are you talking about this, Father Brad? But I hear it often. People, maybe even just jokingly or for fun, right, might go down to New Orleans and and go into a voodoo shop. Or go get their palm read or, or go to a tarot card reader in front of the cathedral. Those things... Open us up to bad things. Look, if you're in Jackson Square, just don't get your tarot cards read. Just go into the cathedral, right? Jesus is there in the tabernacle. These things, tarot cards and Ouija boards and all that, they are not a game. They are truly part of spiritual warfare. 
And the sad thing is, they've been made to be a game in our families. You can buy a Ouija board at Walmart in the children's section, the game section. If you have ever dabbled on these types of things, it's absolutely something you should repent of and bring to confession. Confession is the most powerful spiritual warfare there is, and it will take care of it, right? Some people will call me or Father Jamin and say, hey, can you come uh, give my house an exorcism? Crazy things are happening. I'm having dreams. Uh, Things are moving at night. That might be the case, but I always start. I go over to the house and I say, okay, so what's going on? They tell me and they say, okay, give it an exorcism. I'm like, well, one, you don't really exercise a house. You bless a house. You exercise a person. Do you need an exorcism? And they're like, oh, no. Um, and then I say, but actually, let's, let's start here. When's the last time you've gone to confession? And they're like, oh, fourth grade or something. And I'm like, you don't need your house exercise. You just need to go to confession, <laughs> right? An exorcism is a sacramental. It's a blessing. Confession is a sacrament. Our weapons of spiritual warfare are the sacraments that Jesus gave us. And if we put ourselves in the presence of the divine through the sacraments, we have nothing to fear. He will take care of it. I'll end this homily with a a quote, a, a rather lengthy quote, but it's a beautiful quote by Cyprian of Carthage, one of the early church Christians. I think it's really cool sometimes to go back to hear what the earliest Christians said. You know, we're in 2021 But we have a history. We're connected not just to us here in this church, not just to our diocese or even all Christians in the world. But we're connected to people all the way back to the beginning. This is in the third century. Cyprian of Carthage said this about the spiritual warfare of sacrifice. And he's quoting Paul in it in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, let us take these arms. Let us fortify ourselves with these spiritual and heavenly safeguards that in the most evil day we may be able to withstand and resist the threats of the devil. Let us put on the breastplate of righteousness that our breasts may be fortified and safe against the darts of the enemy. Let our feet be shod with gospel teaching and arms so that when we shall begin to trample and crush the serpent, he may not be able to bite and trip us up. Let us bravely bear the shield of faith whose protection extinguishes anything the enemy throws at us. Let us protect our head with the helmet of salvation that our ears may be guarded from hearing deadly edicts. I'll stop there. What does that mean? It means what you listen to. What's on your Spotify? May we guard what we listen to, that our eyes may be fortified, that they may not see the odious images. What does that mean? That means what's on your Netflix? What's on your Hulu? That our brow may be fortified so as to keep safe the sign of God, the cross. That our mouth may be fortified, that the conquering tongue may confess Christ our Lord. Let us arm the right hand with the sword of the Spirit, that it may bravely reject the deadly sacrifices, that mindful of the Eucharist, the hand that has received the Lord's body may embrace the Lord himself hereafter to receive from the Lord the reward of heavenly crowns.